Welcome to the Sober Podcast, brought to you by the Sober Network. The Sober Network is actively engaged in revolutionizing the recovery community. We offer fresh ideas, voices, and incentives to impact massive social change. Our technology expertise is best seen in our multiple brands. They demonstrate a thorough understanding of how we get things done. Take us along on your journey and we will help build the recovery capital needed to sustain life on life's terms. Visit us at SoberNetwork.com. Welcome to the Sober Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Brickhouse, and we'd like to take a minute before we get started to get the word out about one of our latest product lines brought to you by Soberverse, Sober Life Apparel, where positivity and pride pave the way to a brighter, healthier future. Please visit our new website, SoberLife.com, that's S-O-B-R-L-I-F-E.com, and check out our new merchandise. Our sober celebrity guest today is Flint Anderson. Flint is the founder of Pain, P A I N, Parents and Addicts in Need, which was awarded California Nonprofit of the Year 2021 and specializes in rehabilitation services and family support for those affected by substance abuse. Flynn regularly speaks in the media, addressing the public with information about the drug epidemic. He partners with lawmakers in California as an advocate of new legislation in the fight against drug trafficking, particularly legislation that creates changes in the way dealers and drug suppliers are prosecuted. Thank you so much for joining us, Flint. How are you today? I'm good, Jamie. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thrilled to have you here. You know, um, we often do these interviews um, focusing on on uh, one topic or theme, and given your uh, history and what you do, um, seems like long term recovery and treatment aftercare uh, mm-hmm. is the is the way to go with this interview. So let's start a bit about your own journey to recovery. Sure, you struggled with opiates for half your life. That was the first. What was the first step for you in your recovery journey? The, the, the first step was actually, you know, I got to tell you, it wasn't acknowledging that I had a problem. I, I knew I had a problem for years. Um, <laughs> I mean, it was just pretty evident, um, you, you know, for, but for folks to understand my, my journey, we kind of have to start just at the beginning a little bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, I had a surgery a year from the time I was born to the time I was 13. I've had surgery a year. Is that what surgery you said? Surgery a wow. year. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I had four more in 1976. I was born in 55. So you know, I, I basically had, you know, 18 surgeries throughout my teen years. And, um, and so my opioid receptors were changed quite early, uh, to say the least. Mm. And, and, and so, and so with that, you know, I was just one of those guys that, um, um, I, I liked the drug. I, I liked what it did for me. I liked everything about it, you yeah. know? Um, and then I progressed into some other, other drugs, um, and, and, and went on quite a journey with those as well. But opiates was always my, my drug of choice. And, um, and so when I got, finally got clean in 2001, uh, look, I didn't have much choice. I, doctor said I had about six months to live. Um, I, I walked into a treatment facility, my fourth one, um, weighed 140 pounds, losing oh teeth, God. couldn't sign and, my name to a piece And you were how old at this point? I was 45 at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 45. And uh, they told me I had about six months and that's what started. 
that journey. But, you know, Jamie, the first four years, what a lot of people don't realize, those first two to four years, those are pretty rough, you know, especially after long term use like that. Yeah. Um, got, got yeah I mean, rough. think about it, you know, that many years of long term use and then to try it, 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 it's not that's why we can't recover overnight. Right. Correct. That, that, that is correct. Yeah. Which a lot of people, uh, well, certainly addicts don't understand that when it's happening, but when they're trying to recover, but those, especially those who aren't in recovery, don't um, quite understand that. You know, it's just like when they say, oh, well, he went to rehab and they cure and they cured him. Why is, you know, why does he still have a problem? <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and part of our message is trying to let these families know and that that there is no cure for this. Uh, a lot of people think that there is and, and, and there simply isn't. You know, it's about it's also about changing behavior. You know, when you do something for for such a long period of time. And by the way, that could be even a year of doing something or five years of doing something. You know, you don't change behavior in a 30 day program. Yeah. yeah. Uh, addiction is as much behavioral as it is a physical or psychological addiction. So talk a little bit about long-term recovery and rehab aftercare, which is so important. What are your thoughts on sober living versus something like an IOP uh, program? Sure. Look, I, an IOP is intense outpatient. Correct. Yeah. Look, Norm, when I talk about long-term recovery, um, look, we're off, we're, we're, also up against a battle with insurance companies. We're we're up up against a battle. Those of us that own treatment centers, um, uh, as far as charging somebody a cash price for this, we know it's expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and insurance companies aren't going to pay for more than than thirty days. In fact, we're seeing a decrease. I own a treatment facility as well. We're seeing an average of seventeen to twenty to to twenty three days. That includes both detox and residential. Um, but if, but if I live down in the from the standard 28 days, right? Co- correct. Mm-hmm. Um, and we all know, especially lo- long-term opiate addicts in particular, we, we know that, that we should be there for 60 to 90 days. Um, but that being said, that's not a reality right now. So if we can keep somebody in a 30 day program minimum, if we can get them into outpatient and all the stages of outpatient care, meaning uh, PHP, IOP, OP, leaving somebody there for six months to a year. Um, and, and during that time, uh, and again, not everybody can do this, but I'm a firm believer in sober living as yeah. well mm-hmm. for at least some period of, of that time. Uh, everybody's different. You have people that were my age at 45 that have to go back to their families and go back to work. But that long-term outpatient uh, a program to me is a necessity because again, we're, we're, we're trying to change one's behavior. We're trying to change the way somebody thinks about this. We're trying to teach about triggers. We're trying to teach about all these things that, that when we get clean and walk out of that treatment facility, we have no idea what's coming around the next corner at us. Yeah. So true. You know, I, um, I went to rehab and alcohol was my main substance of use of choice. And, uh, you know, and I was thinking when I agreed to rehab, you know, okay, it was going to be this, the 28 days. And then they said, you know, they uh, said 90 days and I was like, (laughs) um, and, and I talked them down to 20 to 60 and them being my family, my, and, and I'm so glad I, you know, I could have easily done 90 and, and it took, and I remember thinking, you know, I, it took me two weeks to get acclimated to the fact 
that I was where I was, you know, before I could really start to, to get sober and get anything out of it. So I always tell people, you know, who, anyone who's reaching out for help and they're, and they're thinking of going to rehab or they're, or they need, are they going, I say, take it, take as much time as you can get. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the other thing is, and you said something that, that, that struck a chord with me, not only were you getting acclimated when we get out you know, and if we're in some place, even 30 days, and if you're, if you're in there somewhere 60 or 90, I don't know about you, but when I got out of my last treatment center, I, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. You know, um, I mean, I got out and went home and it's like, I was living in, in a, in a, in a place I didn't even recognize. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know how to function as a human being. I, I yeah. didn't know how to do things normally. You know, again, that's why that, that continuing outpatient uh, program is just so critical in my opinion. right, in which I did, and I did do that. That was recommended, and I took that recommendation, and I did IOP uh, for I think another three months. Good for you. And, and I also found my therapist. I did the part therapy was part of it, and I found my therapist there, and continued to, and I still work with him to this day. And you know, and it's ten years later, fifteen, sixteen years later. You know, that, that's fantastic. Actually, you bet, because we 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 all, we all can use it. I mean. That's, yeah. that's the way I feel about it. Exactly. What are, um, you know, you're talking about sober living houses. Um, what are the regulations for privately run sober living houses? Well, look, at least here in California, there, there really is not a governing body that, that, that sits over sober living facilities. Um, there's really no laws that, that, that anybody has to pertain to. And, and so again, I can only speak about what's in my, my own area here in mm -hmm. California. Um, uh, we, we do have a problem with a lot of sober living facilities. Uh, we've had one now for, for seven years. Uh, we run it, uh, pretty strict. Uh, we, we, we're constantly doing drug testing. We're, we're constantly making sure these guys are going to, to meetings. Um, and we're, we're a zero tolerance policy. You know, I, I mean, if, if, yeah. if, if somebody relapses, um, I'm sorry, they're, they're, they're out. You know, they, they can come back after a certain amount of time. Um, but again, sober living houses need to be, in my opinion, need to be run with a little bit more of an iron fist. Good. You know, and that's a good place for us to take a break. Uh, so stick with us, everybody. We're just going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Hi, everyone. Nate Kelly here, producer of the Sober Podcast. Head over to SoberPodcast.com for more information on the show and for a library of all of our past episodes with your favorite sober celebrities. All of our episodes are available in both video and audio format. And you can also register as a guest and apply to be featured on the podcast. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and for continuing to support both the Sober Podcast and our Sober Network. Jamie, back to you. And we're back talking to Flint Anderson, uh, talking about long-term recovery and treatment aftercare. So uh, back to rehab programs and, you know, and, and the, the time, uh, that people spend there, you know, they're around, you, most tend to be around 28, 30 days. How can families and loved ones support, uh, their, the, the ones coming out best, um, after a long-term program? Okay. Look, we here at pain. We also provide, uh, uh, parent family services 
and, mm-hmm. and meetings on Wednesday nights. We've been doing that now for 14 years. And we think it's extremely important for, for these families to, um, to, to, to come in and, and talk to us about this because, look, I like Al-Anon. I, I, I really do. Um, mm-hmm. Al-Anon hat definitely has its place. It's been around a long time. But in Al-Anon meetings, they, they can't ask questions. It's like an AA meeting. You have right, to tell your right. story and you move on. In our meetings, it is cross-talking. It's throwing things out there. I'm there every Wednesday night. I'm telling the family what their addict child or loved one is capable of and not capable of during these different time periods of of recovery. Um, So it sounds like it's more like group therapy, really. Absolutely, it is. You know, and 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 listen, we cry, we we bitch, we moan, we laugh, we we do all these things in these in these meetings. We've we've seen over nine thousand families here at Payne since two thousand and ten, and 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 it has had an enormous impact on those families understanding that addict, understanding their brain, understanding what it's going to take for them to maintain long term sobriety. And, and, and plus it, it makes the families feel like now they actually know what they're talking about with them. Yeah. Um, are most of the sober houses and long-term programs you partner with 12 step based? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Most of them are there's, there's, there's some that aren't. Um, but I have to say, look, 99% of, of, of the, of the places we partner with are 12 step based. Yeah. What are a few factors to consider, uh, for long-term treatment um, versus um, versus rehab, or it sounds like you like a combination of both. But I do. I, I I like the combination of both. Look, I'm I'm also a firm believer in this. When when somebody is using a substance, first and foremost, they have to be able to get off of that drug. Period. Mm-hmm. And and there's ways to do that. And, and it needs to be done properly. It de- needs to be done with certain medications, especially now that we're dealing with fentanyl and some of these other drugs that are, that are out there. I'm sorry, nobody's going to be able to kick this on their own. And, and so it has to start there. I also believe that, in, in that those, if somebody's not going to go through, through, through detox, their chances of making it out of this are, are, are like 3%. Mm. I mean, that's, 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 that's really like low, the, right. It, that's, it's extremely low because again, the, the, the brain doesn't become fully mature to the age of 26. That's without drugs and alcohol. How do you, how does anybody expect somebody to make a, a, a conscious rational decision about, especially about their life when they aren't even capable of making that decision yet because their brain hasn't been developed enough. There's a lot of these things that just have to go, has to have to be taken into consideration here. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's simply, um, it it simply makes sense to me, you know? Um, And so once, once they can get through the detox process, now we can actually, if, if that person needs medications, um, now we can give them the proper medications that they need. Maybe they're, yeah. maybe they're bipolar, maybe they're, you know, uh, depression, whatever the case may be. I just um, think when they're, they're just jamming too many drugs. You know, if, if somebody's not clean first and they're giving them a psychotropic drug of some sort, um, those drugs are going to, are going to clash. Yeah. 
And let, um, uh, let's talk about, this is a good uh, segue into, um, you know, uh, the uh, opi opioid and fentanyl crisis, and it which continues to have a grip on our communities. Um, there are sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, moms and dads whose lives are cut short because of accidental overdoses. And you continue the never-ending mission to communicate this reality and create change in a multitude of ways. Um, and, and you're doing that with, uh, with pain, P-A-I-N. Tell us about some of those ways. Yeah, look, the, the first thing, and we've done a pretty amazing job here in Fresno in particular, um, in, in, in getting the message out there, getting the awareness piece out there mm -hmm. uh, about, you know, because most people don't even know what fentanyl is. Um, but but getting that awareness piece out, um, getting things out there like, you know, again, offering treatment options for these people. Yeah. Um, explaining how dangerous that drug is. Um, you know, just tell us, I mean, let, I mean, I'm sure many of our listeners know what it is, but maybe some don't. So uh, tell us what fentanyl is. Yeah. Fentanyl is a synthetic opioid that, um, that is enormously powerful. It's a hundred times stronger than morphine. We can actually make it as, as, as powerful as we want because it's made in a lab. Uh, the properties come from China. They get shipped into Mexico. The cartels then uh, manufacture it, uh, press pills into it, and of course sell powder, mm -hmm. and then comes over the border and in, into the United States. And lo and behold, here here we are. Right. Um, and then a lot know, of other drugs are cut with fentanyl. Is that correct? Cor correct. I mean, they're now using benzodiazepine to cut the fentanyl with. So when you're seeing the the people that are kind of you know they they call it uh, uh, the zombie drug. Yeah. You know, that they're just kind of slumped over and they're walking around and they're passing out. Fentanyl is a very short acting opioid. And, and what I mean by that is that if somebody uses it, they're probably going to need another dose in about an hour and a half mm -hmm. because it's short acting. So they're adding benzos to it. So it gives it a longer life. But now if somebody wants detox and wants help, now we have to detox both the fentanyl, which is an opioid, and then the benzo, which is which speaks for itself. It's a, it's a benzo. Right, so right. two different types of of, of, uh, of detox protocols there. And uh, are you doing anything with um, Narcan distribution? We, we, we are. And I am a huge proponent of Narcan. Um, we, we are one of the largest distributors here in the San Joaquin Valley. Um, we train uh, businesses on it. We train school districts on it. Um, we, we give it to the general public away for free. Um, but what we're finding is that a lot of people, and, and again, this is probably for a different show sometime, right. um, you know, is the harm reduction piece to this. Yeah, yeah. You know, a, a lot of people think that Narcan uh, and fentanyl test strips are a treatment tool, and they're not. They're, th those are simply tools to help save somebody's life. And so we're trying to spread that message as well. And, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's like CPR for, for drug overdose. Yeah, 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 that's the way exactly. to look at it. Well, yeah, we we will have to have you. We we do like talking about harm reduction uh, on here. We've had a few different guests about that. So you're going to have to come back and um, and uh, talk just about that. And the final question that we ask almost all of our guests, uh, which is what is the best lesson you have learned in sobriety and recovery and how did it help you mm, the best the best lesson don't take things too serious 
Oh, that's a good one. I mean, just don't <laughs> take things too serious. I, I mean, look, I can be a real serious guy and I and I can go over the top on, on certain issues. Uh, but I think it's also an age thing. You know, the longer one's in sobriety and the older we get, uh, we have a tendency not to get so worked up. Uh, I wish I would have done that a little bit more in early sobriety. Um, yeah, just, just, just taking it a little bit easier and, you know, life is going to come as life's going to come and, uh, and, and we have to learn to deal with it. And sometimes we make mistakes and, and sometimes we get it right. And, uh, and, you know, and, and that's, that's what recovery is about. I am a proponent for not taking it too seriously. And I were, and I'll just close with a little story. I remember, uh, I did relapse a few times after rehab before I got it. And, and the first time I relapsed, my my husband called my sponsor who'd been around for a while and yeah. he was, you know, just beside himself. And he said, he drank, he drank, he came home drunk. Oh my God. What do you, he said, he said, he's an alcoholic. That's what we do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and it infuriated him, but you know what? We, we laugh about it now. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Now you can laugh about it. You bet. Yeah. yeah. Well, that. thank you so much, Flint, for coming on the show. And to all our listeners, thank you for your continued support. Visit us on SoberPodcast.com and all places where you find major podcasts. Leave us a review. Sign up for our mailing list. You can you can also find the contact information in the show notes for our guest, Flint Anderson. I'm your host, Jamie Brickhouse. You can find me on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, where I tell a true story in high heels every day. Signing out from the Sober Podcast. Tune in for another show next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Sober Podcast. We hope that you have found this episode helpful and look forward to you joining us next time. As we continue to grow and implement positive change, we hope that you'll share our podcast with your friends and loved ones. They can find us on all the major podcast directories or at SoberPodcast.com. If you have an idea for the show, want to leave positive feedback, ideas, or comments, connect with us at SoberPodcast.com. You can also reach out to us on our social media platforms in the Soberverse. We'd love to hear from you. A special thanks to all those who make this show happen. Jamie Brickhouse, our host. Chrissy Senopol, our social media manager. Our sponsor, Dr. J and the Sober Network. And me, I'm your executive producer, Nate Kelly. Join us next Saturday for another story of hope and resilience with a notable sober celebrity. And until then, remember that we here at the Sober Network are driven by our mission to help people get sober and stay sober. Bye for now. <laughs>